Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Before we engage our principal subject matter that will have us in chapter 15, I did just want to continue to welcome all of you who are listening by way of podcast in the countries of Canada, Mexico, Argentina, Brazil, Chile, uh, France, Portugal, Spain, uh, England, uh, China, South Africa, India. I continue to see you on the grid. I continue to see you on the map, and it really does uh, bring me great joy that you are taking time out of your busy schedule to join me here on Seeds of Truth, where we reflect into the richness of our uh, Christian faith and, and Catholic faith, that we might better understand how our faith is rooted in sacred scripture. Every aspect of what we believe in, every truth, every every doctrine that we believe in is, and at least it's seed form, of course, in sacred scripture. So when we go through uh, these books in the Bible, we, we wrapped up a, a study on the book of Revelation several months ago, and right now we are in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. My dear friends, we are really spending time with these books so as to better understand um, why we believe what we believe, okay? And also uh, what that looks like as it's poured into our everyday life. It does not serve this radio program if we are not reflecting into these theological truths practically. Chapter 15 is about the resurrection. So uh, today we will continue our reflections into the resurrection. I will do so by engaging what Paul's saying, considering some of your questions, but that will come up short if we don't ask the next important question. What does this have to do with my faith? What does this have to do with my everyday life. So this is what we are about, and certainly the resurrection is arguably the most important topic <laughs> to talk about as it relates to what this looks like in my everyday life. Because as Paul says in the very verses we are going to read this evening, if we don't believe in the resurrection, our faith is in vain. The whole structure of the Christian faith collapses. You know, when you talk about the resurrection, how does one explain this sudden belief of frightened disciples that their master rose from the dead, right? I mean, an empty tomb would not of in itself mean a resurrection, right? Because as the Jewish leaders claimed, the body could have been stolen, huh? But it was the Lord's appearances with the empty tomb that convinced the disciples that Jesus was risen, Given the understanding of the day that resurrection meant something bodily, if there was no empty tomb, there would, have been, there would have been no ground for the belief that Jesus had risen, right? The appearances, however, were not in accord with contemporary understandings of resurrection. Jesus' body was not only risen, but also transformed. The disciples were not expecting this. Something had happened, okay? Something which was not at all what they expected or hoped for. 
something around which they had to reconstruct their lives and in relation to which they had to redirect their energies. Brothers and sisters, I want you to think about this carefully, okay? If you were to go back 2,000 years ago, what changes everything is the resurrection with the empty tomb, right? This fundamental truth is what oriented their whole reconstruction. On Thursdays, I title Thursday, Special Topic Thursday, a night that is tailored to your questions. Um, and one of your questions that came in was, you know, how do we know that Jesus really rose from the dead? Well, in that program, we took up one Dr. Greenlee. He was a Harvard Law professor, and he set out to deconstruct the Christian resurrection, right? He simply did not believe in the resurrection. He thought the whole thing was a farce, and so he set out as a lawyer to make a case against the resurrection. And so how do you make a case? Well, you make a case by gathering information, data, building up testimony, if you will, against, in this case, of course, the resurrection, right? Well, when he went into history, he really dove into the testimony of the time, and all he could come up with was what? But testimony against the resurrection? No, testimony on behalf of the resurrection. Yesterday evening, I was talking about the 500, as Paul talked about the 500, right? 500 others bore testimony, testimonia on behalf of the resurrection. And what Dr. Greenlee came to discover was that the testimony on behalf of the resurrection outweighed anything outside of that. And he began to believe. And what was the greatest testimony? Well, he started to examine the lives of the apostles and how they gave their life to Jesus Christ. Why did they give their life to Jesus Christ? How were they able to give their life to Jesus Christ? Well, A, they believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is that fundamental truth that reoriented everything. And then, of course, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit that empowered them, that emboldened them to lay their life down for Jesus Christ. And so as Dr. Greenlee was going through all of these lives, he, one apostle after the other, began to believe in the testimony of these great men that, yes, Jesus Christ indeed rose from the dead. You see, my friends, the apostles were convinced <laughs> the resurrection of Jesus Christ reoriented everything, everything about uh, Christianity. Now, as the resurrection is uh, front and center for St. Paul, there is also another element to this that is going on and why he says what he says in verses 12 to 19. So if you have your uh, Bibles out, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I will go ahead and read verses 12 to 19. Verses 12 to 19. Now, if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins." 
than those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. All right, before we engage these verses, I want to uh, bring in a question that kind of lingers over this particular text. And uh, the question was treated in Carl Olson's Did Jesus Really Rise from the Dead? So I want to engage this um, at least for a little bit here. And this is the question. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul corrects what he regards as certain Corinthian Christians' mistake about Jesus' resurrection. Did the earliest Christians believe something different from the later Christians, including Paul? Apparently, they didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, even though they were Christians. Doesn't this suggest that something besides the resurrection may have happened to Jesus after his death? Okay, so that's a fair question, at least from a distance, huh? Doesn't this suggest that something besides the resurrection may have happened to Jesus after his death? Well, we have to appreciate something here. That belief in our Lord's resurrection isn't really at issue in Paul's discussion with the Corinthians. It's not as if the Corinthians didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead, but Paul does. They all agreed about Jesus' resurrection. And as Carl Olson makes the point here, Paul's argument is over the resurrection of Christians in the future, which some Corinthians apparently questioned, right? We have to remember that Paul's first letter to the Corinthians is a response to the many questions he himself was receiving. So as he's responding to these questions, he's doing in such a way where we can better understand what was going on in the community that he is writing, and of course, in this case, the Corinthian community. So again, Paul's argument is, is over the resurrection of Christians in the future, which some Corinthians questioned. Paul said to them what? In effect, if there's no resurrection of the dead, as some of you believe, then Jesus himself hasn't been raised from the dead. And if that's true, then quite simply, we are in trouble, huh? Our faith is worthless, and we're still in our sins. But we know Christ has been resurrected. The witnesses confirm this. We talked about this yesterday. Peter, all of the 12, the 500 witnesses, James, the other apostles. Paul uses our Lord's resurrection in which the Corinthians also believed in order to argue for the future resurrection of Christians, which some Corinthians were questioning. In other words, my friends, Paul argues from Jesus' resurrection more than for it, okay, in 1 Corinthians 15. So he's arguing from Jesus' resurrection as opposed to for it. So it is a matter of from to for, okay? So he's using the resurrection as an argument for how we as Christians share in the resurrection. Uh, Paul said nothing about, say, uh, different understandings of our Lord's resurrection among the Corinthians, okay? All right, so uh, we bring that up because certainly it is, I think, a question that kind of lingers over this text. Now, whatever the influence may have been in why they didn't believe the resurrection of the dead, this Corinthian skepticism uh, concerning the future of the body certainly led to a denial of Christian doctrine and a sharp decline in morality. And for Paul, this was very, very important. You know, I, am, I receive a great number of questions about 
did Jesus rise from the dead? Uh, does God exist? Uh, why is it that people fail to believe in Christ's resurrection, in God's existence? Is it because God has not given us enough reason to believe? Okay. Uh, is it because there isn't enough evidence out there? Well, as I've said before here on this radio program, if you roll up your sleeves and work on the tall grass, you will quickly discover that there is more reasons to believe as opposed to not believe. Okay. And Lord knows we have really worked out those details. But I bring that up now because in the end, I am convinced that this has a lot less to do with what evidence is out there and a whole lot more to do with essentially uh, why we don't believe. In other words, if I believe in the resurrection or if I believe in God's existence, that means what? I have to change my life, right? Because to believe in God or to believe in our Lord's resurrection means that there's something greater than I out there. And to be attentive to that, that is God's existence, suggests at the very least that I have to be attentive to laws outside of me. I just can't think whatever I want to think or do whatever I want to do, that I am bound to discover truth, a truth that is tied to a right from a wrong, okay? Ethics. It's fascinating because the deeper I go with people who don't, who say they don't believe in God or who say they don't believe in, in the resurrection, who look upon Christianity as one big fairy tale and myth, in the end are dealing with a lot of brokenness. Brothers and sisters, we are all broken, right? We are all wounded. We are all suffering in some capacity. And we have to look into that suffering. We have to look into that brokenness. We have to look into that woundedness and deal with it, right? And, and let me say this, the only way out of that woundedness, the only way out of that suffering is with Jesus Christ, is with Jesus Christ. And to deny then Jesus Christ is to deny not only your suffering, but your way out of it. Jesus Christ suffered not as the antidote to our human pain, no, but to show us how to deal with it, how to respond to it heroically. And so when I speak with these folks who don't believe in the resurrection and the existence of God, the deeper I go into these conversations, um, it is clear to me that they are shoving God to the margins or are shoving Jesus to the margins because they don't want to deal with their pain and their suffering. I don't speak lightly about this because I know the pain is deep. I know the wounds are deep. But the only thing that is going to heal that wound is Jesus, the divine physician. And so what's important for us to understand is that as we talk about the existence of God and as we talk about the resurrection of Jesus and we respond to these questions apologetically, there's a much deeper issue. There's something else going on. Yes, there might be those who really don't believe in God. There might be those who really don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I'm not denying that either. But more often than not, something else is going on, and we would be well served to get beyond the point counterpoint and to get underneath the real discussion, which is a discussion about morality. And this is why Paul is engaging the Corinthians as he is. He's responding to their doubts, not for exclusively this external response to why they, they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. No, but as he says it, 
if we don't have the resurrection, our faith is in vain. Everything is futile. Why? Because it is in Jesus Christ that we have new life, right? So this verse, verse 17, still in your sins, really gets to the heart of what I'm saying right now, right? Because if Jesus did not overcome death, then he could not have destroyed sin, because death, as we know from Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 to 19, is the consequence of sin. And it is precisely Christ's victory over death that demonstrates his triumph over the cause of death. So this is what we share in. <laughs> we share in Christ's victory. Christ needed to resurrect and ascend so that we might share in that same resurrection and ascension. And of course, again, we do so because he has given us the Holy Spirit. He has given us the power, that is, his love, to share in God's very life and love. So Paul, in these verses, wants us to then see that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is just not about our Lord's resurrection, but our new life in heaven, right? (laughs) Verse 19, if for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. You know, what is our hope? All right, our hope is in uh, the confident assurance of things yet to come. What do we hope for if there is no resurrection? We hope for, for that which is yet to come. You know, hope also speaks to desire. Paul says we are pitied because what is it we desire if there is no resurrection? Everything that we ache for, everything that we long for, everything that we, we desire is tied to that moral and theological virtue of hope. And this is a virtue that, again, is more than just I wish for, right? <laughs> a virtue that is more than uh, what we hope based upon what we think. No, this virtue ascertains so much more and engages so much more and engages our whole being. And again, this is why Paul says what he says in verse 17. Without the resurrection, our faith is in vain. Everything collapses. If you were to look at every denomination out there, what separates Christianity from every other denomination? The resurrection, my friends. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I was watching a program the other night, and they were talking about this new archaeological evidence that Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead. And I'm sure there are people out there who thought to themselves, I told you so. <laughs> I knew Jesus didn't really rise from, rise from the dead. I mean, who are we 2,000 years later in some flippant way to posit such an accusation? And Lord, help us if we are those who are doing so, because in the end, we are dealing with something that is uh, so important to our faith. And to undermine that which is so important to our faith is very troubling. We have to remember something here, my friends. History does not spring forth from non-event. And again, as I noted back on that program, and I think it was dated April 20th, by the way, if you want to go into my archives on Special Topic Thursday, uh, hit April 20th, and you'll get my reflection in response to your question on whether or not Jesus really rose from the dead. One of the things we talked about then and I bring in now is the importance of understanding the nature of history, that yes, it did not spring forth from non-event. Okay, you cannot remove Christ from the timeline. We can go out of our way 
to try to remove Christ from the timeline, but you're always going to come up short. I still remember to this day uh, a Western Civ professor of mine walking into this history course I was taking, and he said, all right, before we get started this evening, I, I need to make an announcement, you know, and all of the students were kind of alarmed by this. There was this announcement this Western Civ professor was going to give, right? So we're like, okay, we were kind of on edge. What is he going to say? And he grabs the chalk. If professors still use chalk, I don't know. <laughs> this is 93. So he grabbed the chalk and he begins to uh, draw a timeline. And he says, we no longer use B.C. and A.D., right? B.C., before Christ, and, and A.D., the Latin there for year of our Lord. But now B.C.E. and C.E., before common era and common era. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, that's fine. You've changed the language, and the powers that be changed the language for political reasons, I'm sure but there's still a problem that you have, right? And I even raised my hand and and posed that problem to the professor. There's still someone who intersects that timeline, which defines BCE and CE. And sometimes somewhere in here, you have to identify who that person is because Jesus Christ still entered history and defines before common era and common era. So you have to reconcile that. You know, it's interesting, when you really start to probe on this point, every single time you write your name in the left corner of your paper, at least as I did when, when I was in high school, and you date that paper, let's see, today is uh, May 24th, 2017, what are you declaring? But it is the month of May, day 24, right? the year of our Lord, 2017. And you can say, well, the common era, 2017, but it's still 2017 years from a particular day. You see, the common era only defines a period from a particular day. And that particular day was when Jesus Christ entered into human history, right? So you can try to wash over for political reasons Jesus Christ and him entering into history, but you're still stuck with the very real, actual, historical event in history, the Incarnation. So all of this that we are talking about, once again, points back to the importance of our own reflections into this truth that Jesus Christ entered into human history. He really lived for 33 years, and he really rose from the dead. He really ascended, and he really gave the the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we reflect on this because, again, these truths should impact how we live our life. Because to contemplate the meaning of what we were just talking about, those events in the life of Christ, is to come to understand that our faith, our life, what we do is pointless outside of it. Brothers and sisters, outside of of being a saint, what else is there? What else could there possibly be? I believe it was who? Leon Bloy, I think, is the author who once said um, that the only tragedy in life is that we didn't become a saint, right? What else is there? So then the question becomes, how do we go about becoming a saint? And this is what we talk about from one day to the next, is it not? And Today's subject matter, this evening's subject matter, 
again, not to overuse the word, but is quintessential, is of the highest importance because if we fail to understand that our life in Christ is a sharing in Christ's own resurrection, then we fail to understand the meaning of life itself. Jesus suffered and died, and out from that, he experienced new life. We must take our suffering, die to self, allow Christ into our woundedness, allow Christ into our brokenness, allow Christ into that pain and suffering, and only then will we experience new life. Bring Jesus into those places, into those darkest places of your life, and you will know new life. Yes, that one thing that you don't want him to know, he already knows. Allow him in. Allow him in. Allow him into that darkest place. He will turn that darkness into light because that's the power of Christ, is it not? He will take your darkness and he will transform it into light because that's what he did in the crucifixion. He took the darkest day in human history and turned it into the great light, the great hope. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm looking up at the clock and we are out of time. Let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you a special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, an evening from which we reflect into the wonderment and beauty of your resurrection and this call we have to share in your resurrection, mindful that in the absence of believing in your resurrection and our own sharing in it, it can lead to a decline in morality. And so we live a life uh, worth living for, huh? <laughs> and we do so in your grace. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.